everybody. How's it going? Did you know, Kathy? You didn't even wait for them to answer. <laughs> if they had, I'd be frightened. Mm-hmm. Did you know there are Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy talking plushies now? <gasps> talking plushies? Yeah, fr- Fright Rags. You can get them on Fright Rags. Ooh, they're um, they're actually look. limited to three thousand. They're sixty bucks for the set, and they talk. I'm just saying. The dolls speak six different phrases. Oh, it's, they feature a Velcro beer bottle for Joe Bob and a God. Velcro letter for Darcy because she she's the mail girl. I love that. I know there was I was reading this article about some toys that are happening, and that was one of them. <laughs> and I, I want love when some. when they. I, I almost said I love when they do adult toys, and then I realized what that was going to sound like. <laughs> Then I I felt like I had to say it out loud. (laughs) Fair. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Um, I think you have a true crime piece you wanted to share with. I'd like to just introduce this case. It's I don't know if it's hit nationwide, but it's really, really tragic. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that maybe we follow it because she's going to be starting trial. Okay. So do you know anything about Rebecca Grossman? I don't. Okay. So Hidden Hills, which is familiar to Shannon and myself living in the LA area, Hidden Hills socialite Rebecca Grossman to face murder trial in a crash that killed two boys. So this was, I think it happened a couple of years ago. Hidden Hill socialite must stand trial on murder charges in the deaths of two boys. A judge decided Thursday after hearing testimony that Rebecca Grossman struck the pair in a crosswalk while going more than 70 miles per hour and Mm. continued driving. Awful. This was the the mother has had three children. Both of two out of three were killed right in front of her that day. And this woman blew Grossman blew a 0.075 and a 0.076 on the breathalyzer after the crash, which is slightly below the legal limit. But it was like, in, I think it was in the middle of the afternoon. She And her attorney's asking to dismiss all charges. It's like you just killed two children. She was allegedly following I think he's a he's a major league baseball player, mm. but they were he, she was following him and he was racing and she was going over 70 miles per hour in a residential zone. And my understanding of witnesses and stuff is that she hit these two kids and just kept going like nothing. And she's saying, oh, well, my airbag went off and now I'm being told that I hit kids and I didn't even know. And it's like, well, one, you're drunk and two, you're going 70 and not even recognizing a crosswalk. Mm. And now this mother has to had, had to bury two of her babies. I don't even know how this mother gets up each day. But the trial is about to start. And I'm going to be really curious because she's an incredibly privileged white woman in Hidden Hills. Um, and I'll be very curious how the court handles this case because she is acting like she has no idea what she did. Okay. Yeah. Be interesting to see what's at the heart of that there. And I wonder how national this will get because it's a pretty big case because she's mm-hmm. a socialite. So I don't know if people not in the Calif- city of California look it up and take a look, but it is really one of the most tragic. It'll depend on if it goes to court or not. If it gets settled out of court, probably no one will ever hear about yeah, it. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine this is going to get settled out of court, but we'll, find we'll out, see. I, guess. Yeah. I wanted to mention too that, you know, there's a Walking Dead spinoff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, with Norman Reedus. Hello, holla. Yeah, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, they were actually originally going to, it was supposed to be a spinoff series for Daryl, the characters of Daryl, which is Norman Reedus and Carol. You oh, know, nice. His uh, gal pal, it was originally supposed to be that, but unfortunately, Melissa McBride, who plays Carol, 
confirm that she's no longer going to be involved in the offshoot. So the new series will focus entirely on Daryl, the character. Apparently it was purely a creative decision. So like, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe they just decided that it wasn't going to work out. So I'm not Mm -hmm. sure of the details, but I will miss that character for sure. But I love me some Norman Reedus. So I'm very excited about that. I also have some true crime shenanigans to share with you. Oh, please. And most of the stories. Show business. (laughs) Show business. That's a callback to another episode. My stories are curated by our Discord community. Pepper, but now Holden, other people are getting in the game blue. Everybody drops them in our true crime channel and I bring them to everyone. So woman bites off man's tongue during a street (sighs) brawl and wait for it. The seagull swoops down and eats it. Oh, come on. A Scottish man was left stunned after a woman bit off his tongue during a street brawl. Although like very effective. Well done. (laughs) Only to watch, (laughs) only to watch a seagull swoop down and eat it. James McKenzie and Bethany Ryan were involved in a wild street fight in August 2019 when she leant in to kiss him. I was going to say, that's a pretty intimate crime. So how did she get that close? You just As answered she the leant question. In, she savagely bit down so hard and ripped a chunk Jesus. of his tongue out. So ripped a part of his tongue out. So the title is dramatic, of course. Yeah. The large gull then flew down and grabbed I mean, the enough fleshy, of a piece that the, that the bird grabbed it. Was it was a little nugget, a little oh. tongue nugget, and grabbed the fleshy muscle in its beak and then made off before oh, the injured man could retrieve it. The incident left Mackenzie maimed for life. Ryan pleaded guilty to assaulting Mackenzie in an Edinburgh court. To assaulting Mackenzie? Assaulting oh. Mackenzie <laughs> in an Edinburgh court. So like, there Of course you they were salty. Um <laughs> This just real quickly reminds me of, I was driving home the other day and I saw this bird swoop down and pick up a snake. Yeah. And it was, I I mean, I know they do that, but I'd never seen that, that actually like fly right over my car. And this thing was hanging down probably a good two feet. It was crazy. (laughs) So I guess that the woman, Ryan had initially attempted to walk away from the confrontation, but then Mackenzie had continued to be aggressive and approached her again with like a clenched fist. And she then only responded to his action by pushing him before kissing him. She kissed him on the lips. And during the course of that, she bit down, which was obviously a play. Sure. Obviously trying to get close to him so she could do that. Of that, she bit through his tongue, which caused a piece of his tongue to be removed. Mackenzie walked off and spat a part of his tongue out, at which point... That is vicious. The gull came and got it. It was approximately two by three centimeters in size, so it was pretty small, but a little nugget. Enough to hurt. Mm -hmm. She was later arrested and of course Mackenzie went, you know, was oozing blood and it didn't require any surgery, but he doesn't have that part of his tongue anymore. (laughs) Can't taste anything bitter anymore, can you? No, that's super gross. Okay. I did also want you to know that the Candyman serial killer from Houston from the 70s, he actually originally lured back many 28, like 30 different teen victims to torture and murder back mm-hmm. in the 70s. Uh, his house is on sale. I thought you were going to say it was on fire. No, it's on sale in Pasadena. It belonged to Dean 
Coral, I think that's how you pronounce it. And that's where he killed eight of his 28 plus victims. And it's on the market for $184,900. He was known as the Candy Man because his family owned a candy business. And you can go on Zillow and you can see the uh, three bedroom home. It's Pasadena, Texas. Yeah, by the I was going to say, California. Was, I was going to say, I think he's in Texas. The home features three bedrooms, one where Coral strung boys to his torture board. Oh, God. And one full bathroom where one boy bled to death in a bathtub. That's got some bad juju in there. Right. The listing boasts new flooring and fresh paint, new countertops, and a big backyard where um, they searched for his corpses back in 1973. But, yeah, you can go on Zillow and you see the pictures of it, and it is for sale if you'd like to have a three-bedroom, one-bath, 1,200-square-foot home in Pasadena, Texas that was the home of a lot of murder. Can I chime in on something mm. when you're done talking about him now am, that you've brought him done. up? Because it's, it's a perfect done. streamline into, I watched the Gacy tapes. Oh, okay. The, yeah, I want, it's on my list. Isn't it any good? Okay, well, I will say this. It's really informative. And I, I, I think that the way that Gacy has been portrayed mm. to the media is mm-hmm. that like the clown was a huge part of his identity. For sure. Um, it's really such a small part. And oh, so yeah. you learn so much more oh, about good. his wife. You learn about just his relationships with other men. And it is like not, we think of John Wayne Gacy, we think of him as just being a clown and luring. And although that pogo was one of his things, it's really small Oh, as yeah. far as like, there's so much more there that's never talked about. Oh yeah, and T- so that addresses that and talks. It about goes a lot into of, okay, a good. lot of detail. Okay, so good. I think it's worth a watch if you if you have interest in his backstory. Absolutely. In fact, we've been wanting to do an episode on him. Yeah. So, so check it out. And if you think we can do an episode on it, I think there's a lot there. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. I mean, I I was hoping that someone would watch it and tell me it was good. <laughs> Yeah, it's good just because I think you get so much different information than what sure. we know him to be, Sure, right? But they do go into a lot of depth about how they found the bodies beneath the house, and that is nuts. Oh, so, yeah, yeah take, watch it and let me know. Yeah, I'll put it I'll put it on the list. And I had it on my list because I knew I know we had been talking about doing an episode. So, But before we do the horror effects with Kath, I did want to mention that we needed to go back to Florida for a second. Oh, God. A Florida bride and her wedding caterer have been arrested and accused of lacing wedding food, including the lasagna, with marijuana and causing several oh. guests to become sick. <laughs> My God. According to their arrest warrant affidavits. Bride, Danya Shea Svoboda, 42, and caterer Jocelyn Matronice Bryant, 31, have been charged with culpable negligence, delivery of marijuana, and violating Florida's Anti-Tampering Act. (laughs) CNN has not been able to reach either for an interview (laughs) to even see if they have attorneys yet, but one affidavit alleges that Svoboda agreed to and allowed Jocelyn to lace the food she served with cannabis unbeknownst to the attendees, many of whom became very ill and required medical attention. So it was a wedding in Seminole County. They Apparently the deputies arrived to the community clubhouse in Longwood in February. Several wedding guests were being treated by county fire rescue personnel for symptoms consistent with that of someone who was using illegal drugs. 
when a deputy asked Danya and her husband whether they had requested or consented to the food catering cannabis, Andrew stared at the deputy with a blank expression for a few moments. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, hi, right? Stuttering through a no. Deputies collected food and glassware from the wedding venue. To be a fly on the wall to watch that many people I fucked know, up, man. though. They included a beer glass, lasagna and desserts, etc. The, the lasagna later tested positive for THC. I'll tell you what, though, that's really scary because anyone who's done edibles, you know that that is a very different effect from like smoking a joint or whatever. And if you are someone like my body does not respond well to edibles. Oh my God, you'd be out in the lake. And and, and not only that, if you didn't know that, it's one thing if you know you ate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden there's this heaviness and you're like you out of body. I mean, oh my probably. God, like yeah. these people are probably flipping out. Well, actually it goes into that a little bit. It says some of the guests reported feeling stoned and or ill and high. Mm-hmm. While another said, which was probably people people who had felt it before because you could say like oh this feels like being high but if you've never been high then so while another said he felt weird tingly fidgety and had an extremely dry mouth after eating the food at the wedding according to the affidavits one woman who attended the wedding told an investigator that while she was at the hospital she felt paranoid and believed her husband wasn't telling her the truth about certain family members So she kind of had a little bit more psychosis, obviously. And she said uh, she became loud and unruly in the emergency room. Sorry to laugh, but my Mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. And they had to give her medication to calm down. So she had more (laughs) That would be me. Very, yeah, I was going to say, you're like naked on the lake going, what's going on? And I I have I had a horrible reaction once and I felt like this woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one guest told the investigators that after she realized she was high, she asked the bride if, quote unquote, she had put marijuana in the olive oil. Oh, my God. And the guest told a deputy they, that the woman answered yes and acted excited. However, another guest said when she texted bride from the hospital asking her what was happening and what she was given, the bride responded, uh, we have no idea so they were trying to sort of deny it but whatever so they've been bonded out they were of course arrested and bonded and and uh <laughs> wow they will be this this just happened in april so they're actually going to go to court in june for it so that's something anyway, thought i'd share, share the florida what the hell news with you uh, it's before, never dull in florida <laughs> before we did a little thing we like to call Everybody everybody knows what I just said, right? Nope. Nobody knows. Everybody knows this is Horror Facts with Kath. (laughs) Unless they're new and then they'll just have to figure it out. I also would like to let people know, those those of you who are patrons who have not jumped onto the Discord, this might be a selling point. Mm -hmm. The end of each month is going to be Horror Sats with Kath. Um, And this is is where Kath... And I haven't decided yet. This is something I, I wanted to actually run across you because I like to play a lot of the classics. So maybe it's classic sats with Kath. Yeah, you might not want to hem yourself in. You, <laughs> might, you might just have like the end of May, your classic weekend. Classic sats with Kath. You might not want to limit yourself. You might just say it's your night and then you get to do what you want. And so this month it might be classics and another month it might be something else. So it should just be horror sats with Kath. Yeah. I think yeah. You just it's Kathy's night. It's a right. night. What I originally said was like, this is a sinister Saturday. That's what we call yeah. our Saturdays. A sinister Saturday curated by Kathy. Basically you get to bring whatever right. you want. Horror sats with Kath. It's it's, it should be a pull for you. You can make them watch whatever you like. Okay. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Number 
one. Mm-hmm. What particular format does Stephen King use to write his books? Okay. Got it. The movie Within the Woods was in 1978 and would become the proof of concept for the feature film by which title? Okay. It was a movie short. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Number three. How long can an astronaut's footsteps land uh, last on the moon? Oh, that's cool. (laughs) This is crazy. Number four. Women in the 18th century used what toxic substance for makeup? Mm -hmm. Got it. And number five, the first American zombie film was released in what year? Mm. Okay. Thank you so much for that. You're so welcome. (laughs) When we come back, Kathy's going to break down the case of Elizabeth Holmes for us. You may know her. She's an American former biotechnology entrepreneur and uh, was convicted of criminal fraud. So we'll be right back. We'll be right back to discuss her. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back, Kathy. Over to you. Thank you. <laughs> hey. uh, I have to say, I know that I'm going to introduce her in a moment. Mm. I mean, her story. She's not physically here. That would be strange. I did know of this case, but became increasingly more fascinated after watching Amanda Seyfried's performance in The Dropout. She was just so incredibly like, spot on in the way that she studied Elizabeth and I've seen some interviews with her. So I just want to preface that if you have not seen that and you're interested in this case or just like her, right. It's a great, great show. She's uh, so good. She's just been really coming series. along. Yeah. Oh my gosh. For real. She's doing a lot of smaller roles and things that are just really, again, she's great. doing what we know is right. Yeah. In the acting game. <laughs> so Elizabeth Ann Holmes, who is she? She is an American former biotechnology entrepreneur who was convicted of criminal fraud. In 2003, Holmes founded and was the chief executive officer, the CEO of Theranos, a now defunct health technology company that soared in valuation after the company claimed to have revolutionized blood testing by developing methods that could use surprisingly small volumes of blood, just like from a finger prick. Theranos is an amalgam of therapy and diagnosis. So that's what that's that's how she got the name for it. She the whole idea behind this was so people could, you know, find out early enough 
whether there was something problematic in their blood without even having to go to a doctor. By 2015, Forbes had named Holmes the youngest and wealthiest self-made female billionaire in America on the basis of a $9 billion valuation of her company. Mm-hmm. The, uh, in the following year, as revelations of potential fraud about Theranos's claims began to surface, Forbes revised its estimate of Holmes' net worth to zero, and Fortune named her in its feature article, the world's 19 most dis- in the world's 19 most disappointing leaders. So this is a woman who really fell from grace. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a little bit first about her background and how she got to where she did and a perfect storm of having messages from her parents in conjunction with the family lineage that she came from. I would like to just say that this is really how we see the budding or the formation of a sociopath occur. Mm -hmm. As we know, sociopathy. It's a little bit textbook. It's a little bit textbook. (laughs) This, you know, sociopathy, like we've talked about on the show before is different from psychopathy in the sense that it, it is more centered around malignant narcissism. It's more created from environment versus what we think is more of a a neurostructural component with psychopathy. So this is someone who is made versus born. Okay. So she was born February 3rd, 1984 in Washington, DC. Her father, Christian Rasmus Holmes, the fourth was vice president at Enron, a company that itself went bankrupt after an accounting fraud scandal. So, Oh, there's a little familiarity. Her mother, Noel worked as a congressional committee staffer. Her paternal lineage is a major factor contributing to Holmes' childhood dream of becoming a billionaire. Mm -hmm. So she was once asked whether she wanted to marry the president. And she said, no, because I'm going to make, I'm going to be a billionaire and he won't want to marry me because I'll be making more money than him. This is something that most 11 year olds are not saying, (laughs) right? They may not say they want to marry the president. Her dad may have said possibly, (laughs) but this is what, so this is what's interesting in the, in the film, in the series, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of emphasis on pressure, but I see it more so from mom then from dad. So Christian, Elizabeth's father was of Danish ancestry and his second great grandfather. So Elizabeth's third great, great, great grandfather, Mm -hmm. Charles Louise Fleischmann, a Hungarian immigrant who founded Fleischmann's yeast. Holmes had listened to many stories about her great, great, great grandfather (laughs) and was influenced to the point of wanting to reclaim that position in society. So her father was actually a public servant. He um, always gave her messages to like have a purpose in life. But to my understanding, he wasn't like this overt narcissistic person, but he did give a lot of messages about this is where we came from. This is what's important. And the way at least that Noelle, the mother is portrayed in the series, which, you know, we have to sometimes take with a grain of salt is that she was very much about making sure Elizabeth was always the top educated, um, to the point where it even really, it sacrificed Elizabeth's ability to form age appropriate friendships and she had a younger brother, but she spent a lot of time around adults. And with this pressure of being the best, 
when she was around kids her age, she saw that more as a competition and that these other kids were kind of beneath her. And I don't really need to make friends. But then also recognizing that she was socially awkward and using her intelligence as a defense. Like that was the defense. Yes, exactly. Belittling others is a defense. 100%. And, And it was the way that she remained feeling confident in what she was doing is like, these people don't understand me, right? There's nothing really wrong with me. It's just they don't get it. Her father was a public servant who always told her to live a life with purpose, which is likely why she tried doing so by inventing a machine that w- which would proclaim her as a lifesaver. So there's definitely like a God complex to even you what bet. she's creating. And she spoke a lot about her every time she did like a TED talk or she would describe her whole meaning and purpose behind this. She always gave this sob story about uh, being very close to a certain uncle growing up and how he died of skin cancer and how she never got over that. And that's what was like what facilitated. I don't know. I mean, he may have died of that. I just don't really know if she even has the capacity to form that sort of empathic relationship. (laughs) It seems like it was a little weaponized, but Mm -hmm. you know, okay. But all the while she's doing this by making, you know, billions of dollars. So (laughs) it should also be known that Holmes herself has a phobia of needles. And she talks about this in the documentary that's on uh, Hulu as well, where this was contributing a contributing factor to developing a machine that would only need a drop of blood in order to diagnose. And she goes into depth about her needle phobia and how, it was always a nightmare for her to have to go get her blood drawn. I actually have a client who has this major phobia mm. too, watching the skin, the needle go beneath the skin and all of that. Sure. So although this is not clearly stated in her background information in the movie, uh, the film insinuates a level of pressure by her parents to be the best at what she did, which led to a life, uh, how I saw it, was almost like an obsessive compulsive perfectionism. Oh, okay. Where even like when you watch, and, and Amanda plays her so well that she she just is really, really, really rigid. Yeah. Uh, almost like an OCPD in mm, a way. Okay. So obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is someone who essentially has, has to do it all. Like uh, no one's going to do it as good as me as I will. And so I'm going to do it. And there's just a lot of like, she sees everybody as, as less than in the sense that, you know, her world and the way she does things, if she doesn't do it, then it's not going to be done right. And there's a lot of that in her character. At least that's how it's portrayed. Her relationships were hindered by a lack of social etiquette and her desire to connect with others was really only present if she could benefit some way from their contributions to her dream. So she attended uh, St. John's High School in Houston, and during high school, she was interested in computer programming and says that she started her first business selling um, C-plus compilers to Chinese universities. Mm. I mean, man, just so young, she's doing these really, like, really crazy things, really profound things. So her parents end up paying a tutor so she can become homeschooled and learn Mandarin. So this led to a Stanford University summer Mandarin program where she goes abroad to Beijing while she's still in high school. So everything is so academically driven. And and we've talked on shows before about these kids who like, they don't even have a childhood because Mm -hmm. everything is this. And this is, this is why this can be so detrimental. So it was during this program that she meets Ramesh or Sonny Balwani, who's a very big part of the rest of her story. She was 18 and he was 37 And in 2002, she attends Stanford, uh, where she studies chemical engineering and works as a student researcher in a lab as a freshman. 
she pushes herself in there and is basically like, you're doing this wrong. And the lab guy's like, excuse me, aren't you a freshman? <laughs> and she shows him something and he goes, okay, you're on our team. Yeah. And all these juniors and seniors are like, where the hell is this girl coming from? Like, how can she be right? So she's already totally. coming in and sort of practicing this leadership and using all this narcissism. Yeah. And so she, she's convinced the, the Ivy league lab to let her assist after she called out something they were missing. So Sunny, who she meets while she's in Beijing, becomes a major investor and president of Theranos. Holmes has since described her relationship with Balwani as abusive. There's an Amber Johnny element to their relationship, which is interesting too. Holmes told jurors on Monday that for the decade they were together, Balwani persistently criticized her work ethic. So this is from a couple of years ago. Uh, mediocrity as an entrepreneur and the fact that she came across as a little girl. Physical abuse would follow, she said. So this is a quote from Elizabeth regarding Sonny. He would get very angry with me and then he would sometimes come upstairs to our bedroom and force me to have sex with him when I didn't want to because he wanted me to know that he still loved me, said Holmes, occasionally fighting back tears. Bowani appears to be a malignant narcissist who executed his power and control over a younger girl, misjudging her as zealous and naive, not recognizing he had met his match with a sociopathic genius. Mm -hmm. So I do view, after watching, at least what I've seen, I do view Sonny as more of your narcissist. Mm -hmm. And I think that he didn't realize who he had met. Okay. Okay. This is just my... Yeah, yeah. My opinion, of course. Mm -hmm. um, it's evident throughout the film, the dropout, the mirroring that occurs between the two of them, both boosting their ego by exploiting the other. In the and, and there's also this sense of uniqueness, uniqueness, like nobody gets us. We need to stay together, baby. It doesn't right. matter at all costs. Join, joining, twinning. You yeah, know? like mm -hmm. natural born killers, which we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. In the end, Holm tries to push the responsibility on Balwani for everything falling apart, stating that he oversaw the labs and the financial projections. But if you really follow the story, she did a really good job at covering things up, even at times when he was like, you want to continue? Like, we're in deep shit. Yeah. Um, so that tells me also with his narcissism, there was still a little bit of a conscience, mm -hmm. nothing on her end. Mm. So one of the biggest parts of the trial was trying to determine was their intent or was she just trying, did she get deeper and deeper and deeper? And, you know, there's a lot of evidence that points to intent. She also accuses him of rape as well as isolation from her loved ones. However, the police agencies tell CNBC that they had no record of a report under Holmes' name. And this will be important when I break down the socio sociopathy. In, in I was reading here. an article that it said 3% of our business leaders may actually be psychopathic. I, I have no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I never have either. Yeah. I mean, Sociopathy doesn't have to lead to criminal behavior. No, <laughs> not, it, not necessarily. It did, yeah. It did in this case, however, because she had the <laughs> perfect life circumstances, right? Yeah. You give somebody the, the, the right power position if they're a sociopath and they'll, oh, I know no. a number of people in my life that if I gave them this position, they would do this. Yeah. So here's something really interesting. So the beginning of Theranos, she had a lot of really privileged white men who backed her up mostly because of her father and the connections that she had. But it's so interesting how they just blindly invested simply because of what she looked like, who she was and what she had already established and who her connections were. I mean, her history would give you a lot of confidence. Oh my gosh. So due to the connections through her family, we have Tim Draper, a founding partner of Silicon Valley, 
he started Stalwart Draper and Fisher, um, wrote one of the first seed checks to Theranos more than a decade long before its temporary success. To this day, he still defends Holmes and suggests that there was a lot to be gained through Theranos. Don Lucas was introduced to Holmes through his uncle, a well-known Silicon Valley investor and one-time chairman of Theranos' board. Blindly trusts Holmes until he begins to notice discrepancies and begins to question her concept and her progress. He was a big investor. Larry Ellison initially invested in Elizabeth Holmes. Ellison is an American investor and businessman who co-founded Oracle Corporation. Rupert Murdoch sank $125 million into this company. And Harry Kissinger put in $3 million. These are guys that knew nothing about what was going on because she kept everything super private. But she was such a skilled sociopath that she was like, just trust me. And she used a lot of nodding and no blinking. She, she studied a lot on how to intimidate and how to get people to trust. So according to an interview with Ted Med, Holmes said she believes Theranos is a new paradigm of diagnosis in which every person will be able to see the onset of disease in time for therapy to be effective. She was only 19 when she started this program. The company hits 200 million in 2007, 45 million uh, 45 million by 2000, uh, 2010 and in 2013 partnership with Walgreens and exceeds 9 billion in 2014. She's lying to Walgreens at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, she is manipulating the, the results. She is able to exude power and control over these dumbass corporate men. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's really what happened. <laughs> So 2015, Theranos is criticized by some of the medical medical community. Um, there's peer-reviewed research medical journals that are starting to release things. And the first patient to take the stand in the trial of former Theranos uh, CEO, Elizabeth Holmes, said the company's blood test inaccurately showed she was suffering a miscarriage when in fact she had a healthy pregnancy. Huh. So they start to get blood tests back of people who are running to their doctors and the blood tests are so far off that there's false positives and false negatives coming up for these poor patients. And she continues to cover all of this up. Yeah. She's in too deep now. She's in way too deep. She thinks she can, well, sociopath, right? She thinks she can fix it. And that's yes. And so I'm almost at that point and then we'll, we'll open this up for a discussion. So Despite Holmes' attorney's legal threats and strong-arm tactics, John Carreyu of the Wall Street Journal publishes a bombshell article detailing how the Edison device, which is what she created, gave inaccurate results revealing the company had been using commercially available machines manufactured by other companies. And this is the start of her now becoming uncovered. And in 2018, there's a book published called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup, detailing the investigations of Theranos. Holmes clearly rejects all these claims, right? Yeah. So this At first, she just denies it all, right? First, she denies it all. And then she keeps saying, well, we can't release anything. This is, you know, you haven't signed an NDA. She keeps delaying all of these mistakes that are being made so they can continue and these companies continue to invest. So now I'm going to just get into the psychology briefly and then we'll, we'll kind of sum this up here. Yeah. So from an identity standpoint, I think this is someone who's been chasing previous successors. She was obsessed with Steve jobs, even from the way that she dressed in the black turtlenecks and always saying that she wanted to like be him and meet him. Emulate. Um, 
emulate him. Also, her great-grandfather. Holmes had a wardrobe of black turtlenecks and even deepened her voice to sound more dominating. <laughs> and her voice is so strange. Is it? Oh, it's so bizarre. And, it. yeah. and Amanda Seyfried, um, she worked on the voice. And when <laughs> She'd she, have to if it's that distinctive. Oh, my God. And you hate her in this. I'm like, I love her so much for making me hate her because she's hard to hate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she does, you know, she talks down like oh, this no. and she kind of nods. Awful. I mean, this is it's really down this deep. Oh, no. And um, but others in her life, including professors at Stanford, are like, that's not her voice. Yeah, like, she's like, never mm-hmm. sounded like that. So she's been chasing a persona <laughs> since childhood. This was met with high academic standards, definitions of success that leaned toward elitist. She knew she was different. And even if it meant social rejection by peers, she had no desire to develop deep and meaningful relationships as the only purpose of others was to exploit, dominate, or control. She gained the hearts of many women by being a pioneer as a female leader in the tech industry, which is really sad because it like cheapens the experience for women who've worked really hard. Absolutely. Um, especially in an industry dominated by men. So this is someone who fits the description, I believe, of a cerebral narcissist who does okay. not gain supply through exploiting people intimately or sexually. I, I think that even her relationship like with Sonny, um, obviously she didn't like sex with him and it doesn't mean that she doesn't like sex, but she wasn't really driven by manipulating him sexually. She was always dressed kind of frumpy until she sure. was, until she was, um, you know, doing the Steve jobs thing. Sure. She didn't really care about style. She wasn't selling her body, but she gained power through intellect and grandiosity. Mm-hmm. So she never exuded or exploited her sexuality. She was actually quite awkward but she could gain the attention of anyone in the room with her words, with her face. She demanded attention without even saying it. Yeah, I mean, very charismatic. Very charismatic. As most sociopaths are. And here's another in weird... my experience. Yeah, totally. And here's another weird thing that I, I learned later by researching her is that another extension of the self, which we see with sociopaths and psychopaths, was highlighted in her dog, Balto. Balto was not anywhere in the movie. She would bring Balto, a Siberian husky, to to the uh, lab, the Theranos labs every day, not considering that his hair could be contaminating, but she already knew that all that shit was getting contaminated anyway, so yeah, she didn't care. Yeah, she didn't care. But he was not potty trained, oh, and she no. would allow him to walk through the labs and make her employees pick it up. Oh. And then she would tell people that he was a wolf, well, not a dog. Stupid. And, um, which again, it's because if it's her dog, <laughs> she's, so she's, it's gotta be a wolf, Sorry, right? So it's stupid. so dumb. <laughs> so a little bit about cerebral narcissism. <laughs> cerebral narcissism is, is observed in a person who attempts to get their narcissistic supply through intellect and outsmarting others. <laughs> they tend to use big words and amalgamations of words and phrases that sound very profound and technical. <laughs> but without any real depth or point. And if you sure. go back and you watch her interviews, that's so evident. <laughs> yeah. um, they are pretentious and need to be the center of attention and they're pathological liars. So I was watching a YouTube on one of the journalists that had studied her and he said that, you know, there's three types of liars. Mm. We have liars who lie anywhere between zero and four or five times a day. We have prolific liars who uh, would lie maybe more than six times a day and pathological liars um, who can no longer tell reality from fantasy as their lies are so embedded in partial truths that they begin to believe their lies. And clearly this is who she was. I do believe that she believes all of this. Yeah. The delusion is Mm -hmm. there for sure. I've definitely come. I've definitely been like in relationship. I don't mean like, 
close relationship, but in relationship with people who have a kind of that going on. Totally. And you see, and you're like, where oh, you wow. can see that they're like, they don't give you any micro expressions of lying mm-hmm. because they, they truly believe that's 100%. how, that's how often sociopaths pass lie detector tests. That's right. Cause they actually truly believe it. They truly believe it. Yeah. And the scary thing is, is, you know, she believes her innocence she might, so people are like, well, do you think she knows what she did? And here's where I, I believe that she's conscious of the choices and that way she's in touch with reality. Right. But due to her sociopathy, her narcissism, she's manipulated her motivations for them. Oh, okay. So it's like they, you know, when people say, well, narcissists must know what they do. I said, I, I believe that they do, but they don't understand the motivations behind it because they're so defended. Well, think about it. If you're going to understand that, you have to have empathy. You have to understand humanity yeah, and empathy in sure. order to understand motivation. That's right. And so that there's just a total disconnect there. 100%. So, so to distinguish that, they're not psychotic, but it's safe to say that their understanding regarding the motivation for their actions is highly distorted due to these underlying defenses. And like Shannon says, that keeps them away from having any real empathy, any affective empathy. So the only true identity of a narcissist or a sociopath is that of the victim And that will always be their story. So she feels like the victim in this. So psychopaths are less invested in proving their truth or being the center of attention unless they're also narcissistic. But many of them just are on a one-way street to get what they need. And they'll even invent flaws and stuff if that makes people believe them more. Narcissists and sociopaths need to be the center. And so they react with the same narcissistic defenses, but but they're not necessarily but psychopaths are not necessarily at that same level of um, I need to be the center of attention. Right. So early enough on when she's getting into deep, people with a healthy enough ego strength would have walked away, which is what you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. But due to her fear of failure and obsession with financial success and reputation, she covers her lies with more lies, which is what they do. She studied other ways to manipulate, such as going long periods without blinking holding a deep stare uh, to appear to appear more empathic, but because she doesn't have the genuine affect of empathy, it's so awkward. <laughs> and Amanda does it so well in making it look like she's invested in someone's dialogue. So she uses this as a way to manipulate. She gets you lost in the details of information. She would drag people into irrelevant facts and not directly answer the question. And so what we do know is that she um, she ends up getting married to Billy Evans, a 29-year-old heir to the Evans Hotel group, group chain of hotels in California. So, of course, she had to, again, marry an elitist who totally believes her story. She has been um, found guilty. She's going to be sentenced this year. She could receive up to 20 years in prison, but experts say she'll likely receive less. But here's the last thing I'll say, and this is how you know she's sociopath. She intentionally got pregnant before sentencing. Oh, really? So talk about a way to pull the heartstrings of the jury. (laughs) I can't. I mean, in exploiting this child. So this is Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for that. No, it's really interesting. And there's some source material, obviously, that you can look at. The Dropout is on Hulu season one, which is what Kathy's talking about. That's a really great addition to learning about her. And then there was a um, there was a documentary on, I think, on HBO or Netflix or something that was really good. That's on her that I watched years Mm -hmm. ago. 
Yeah, she's. It's an interesting story. I, uh, you know, you and I have done the female sociopath psychopath series, and when we're able to actually bring in a, a real one, because there's so many men out there that are easy yeah. to talk about, it, they're fascinating. Because, and I think one thing that's really fascinating about her is it's it's you're less likely to find a female who's more of a cerebral narcissist. Mm-hmm. Many of them are more somatic. Well, and I think that's how she was so successful. Is that it is so unique? So, totally, like the psychology is so unique that. You know, nobody would really, you know, we, we just, we walk around in our own bias constantly. Yeah. And so you just, you have these blind spots. So mm-hmm. it's like, you just wouldn't think of it, think it of her. Totally. Thank you so much. You're We're welcome. We're going to take a break and then we will come back with our movies and books. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the lighter, gentler horror movies and I believe so. Books. I wanted to mention our new book club book, which was one of my picks. The way we do the book club is we kind of go around the circle of all the book club members, and when it's your turn, you pick three to five books and we put them into a little poll and then the rest of the book club members get to vote. So it's collaborative in that way. Like the person who's choosing narrows it down and then everybody gets to vote. And the book that was voted this time is called A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. When Chloe Davis was 12, six teenage girls went missing in her small Louisiana town. By the end of the summer, Chloe's father had been arrested as a serial killer and promptly put in prison Chloe and the rest of her family were left to grapple with the truth and try to move forward while dealing with the aftermath. But now it's 20 years later and Chloe is a psychologist in private practice in Baton Rouge getting ready for her wedding. And that's the basic premise. She finally has like this grasp of happiness (laughs) that she's been working towards her whole life because obviously that's very traumatic in your life and then a local teenage girl goes missing and the hilarity ensues so it's a debut novel and it's already been optioned for a limited series that's gonna that's by emma stone's company mm-hmm. and already sold in a dozen countries that's worldwide crazy. an unforgettable character and a spellbinding thriller and and all of that they're kind of like oh it's as good as jillian flynn stuff and blah 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 so they're really ranking it up there but it also has gotten really good reviews on goodreads and stuff so we're going to give it a shot i'm also going to do a little side read hopefully if not i might do it by myself but one of the other books that i put up for voting was called night bitch i it's saw that by rachel yoder and a couple of the book club members and myself might do a little side a little side I, read. Vo- I think i voted for like three you're like just vote for one <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. I'm like, no, well, Night Bitch was the other one I voted for. Well, and because yeah. with our movie voting for Saturdays, you can vote for two. But so she yeah, voted I for two, forget. like the movie voting. But for books, it's just one. But anyway, Night Bitch is, uh, <laughs> it's basically about a, ma- a mom who begins to believe that she's a dog. Yeah. That's the basic premise. So super excited i mean a lot of the reviews are like outrageously original and joyfully subversive and like there's funny parts and obviously obviously there's funny parts and then i'll mention that i am actually right now doing a side read of the book audition which is the source material for the movie audition so i figure we just read The Exorcist and and are watching The Exorcist for the umpteenth time as a group though and that's one of my favorite horror movies, so why not read Audition, which is another one of my favorite horror movies. So Yes, it is. So there you go. What uh, I think you were going to mention a true crime So thing, I watched, thing. man, this guy was off his flipping rocker. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh-huh. I had to, I, I mean. I believe you. I don't, a lot of people probably haven't, maybe, I don't know if you're into like watching some of the more, like the European ones. Yep. On, I think it's on Netflix. Um, Netflix is the one that has four billion of them. Yeah. So this is Jimmy Savile, a British horror story. Yeah. Dude. Yes. Have you seen this? I believe so, but give me some okay. of the details because I've watched a lot of them. this guy. Talk <laughs> about the power of celebrity. Oh. Okay. So Sir James William Vincent Savile oh, was an English DJ, television, and radio personality who hosted BBC shows including Top of the Pops and Jim Will Fix It. He raised an estimated 40 million pounds for charities during his lifetime. Uh, Savile was widely praised for his personal qualities and as a fundraiser. What do I always say? So much sociopathy and philanthropy. Oh, yeah. Okay. After his death, hundreds of allegations of sexual abuse were made against him, leading the police to conclude that he had been a predatory sex offender and possibly one of Britain's most prolific. There had been allegations during his lifetime, but they were dismissed and accusers ignored or disbelieved. Savile took legal action against some accusers. This is a man who, would, who chose his victim pool in children's hospitals, many of which who had brain injuries and developmental injuries that he, he was known to actually sexually abuse children that were, had, had borderline intellectual functioning, what we used to call retardation. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a man who spent, um, his time grooming the mothers of teenage girls that he was working at camps or whatever with all the while he was this charming television uh, celebrity that was just the the face of fame in this time in britain and all the women that kind of fell for it but as time went on as we now look back on these interviews at that time, it was way more accepted for, sorry guys, for you guys to make really creepy remarks towards women and women just had to go, Oh, you're just, just stop it. And we had to be uncomfortable with it and just, you know, boys will be boys kind of thing. But watching this and going back and, and watching the discomfort of, of the, the journalists and the newscasters and the TV personalities that are uh, alive today, much older and looking back at themselves at the time going, I mean, we would be off camera and I'd be pushing this man away and then had to smile and giggle when he was hitting on me as the camera was on. And as time went on, people started to hear like, man, this guy's never been in a relationship. Mm. Like, what is with him? Like, is he? And there was this rumor going around that he was his 
he was attracted to children. But no one believed him because of his celebrity status. This documentary was so crazy and he is such a he is such a flipping weirdo. It was almost like a train wreck. I couldn't stop watching it. Yeah. Um, Cause he's just bizarre. Right. And the fact that he was able to draw that many people and the weird, like Jim will fix it is when he would go to the hospitals and the cameras would follow him and he'd be giving money to cure all these diseases while he's sexually molesting the patients behind uh, the camera. Uh, yeah. Years and years <laughs> and years of getting away with this. Did you say that again? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, just went on for. Sorry, just needed to jump in. Stop it. <laughs> so yeah, he. Um, so you'd recommend, yeah. I, I, I like this kind of true yeah. crime. Some people might find it boring, but he is just such a character. It's a train wreck. This guy. Is it like a four part? Limited it's two. Series it's two thing? parts. Two parts. Okay, yeah, I that, think they're that each I can like, do. They're each like a little over an hour. I, think. I feel like I've watched that one. That sounds really familiar. But uh, like you said, there's so many, and I do forget yeah. a lot of them. I mean, yeah. we, we try to bring the really good ones to the show as like big segments. All you have to do is look up his picture. Yeah, Enough no, I know. <laughs> He's a weird. Good Lord. <laughs> All right. I watched a movie. I've been trying to catch up on my Shutter originals, but I don't know actually if this is a Shutter original or not. I say that, but the other ones I might, I'm going to talk about probably are. So this one is on Shutter. It's a horror movie called See for Me. It's a mystery thriller, 2021, about 93 minutes long. A home invasion thriller is basically what it is. Now, uh, home invasion is rough for me, but I was, <laughs> this is one of those situations where I was supposed to be watching something else and I, and I was watching this and I'm like, what happened? And you know, sometimes you're just in the streaming service and you push the wrong button or whatever mm -hmm. and you're watching a movie and you think you're going to watch one thing. <laughs> You're watching a different, and I like had to put the cursor over it and look at it. And I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> this isn't what I was, this isn't what I thought I clicked on. But then, but then by that point, it was like 30 minutes in, mm -hmm. and I was actually intrigued. And so I'm like, okay, because the reason why I mentioned that is because home invasion isn't necessarily something I'm going to click on, right? Because <laughs> it's not my favorite trope at yeah. all. So this is Sophie. The, so this is an interesting twist on it, though. Sophie, a young blind woman house sitting at a secluded mansion finds herself under invasion by thieves seeking a hidden safe. Her only means of defense, a new app called see for me. It connects her to the volunteer across the country who helps her survive by seeing on her behalf. So Sophie's connected to Kelly who happens to be an army veteran who spends her days playing first person shooter games. Sophie's forced to learn that if she's going to survive the night, she'll need the, all the help she can get. So she's basically on this program or this app through her phone to have this woman help her and it's actually a solid movie cool i recommend this movie because the main character skylar davenport i believe is the actress's name is well well done um and the woman who jessica parker kennedy the woman who plays the the army veteran that's basically on the phone and, and acting alone in a room mm -hmm. with headphones. She did the whole movie that way, mm -hmm. uh, helping this woman get through a home invasion, basically. Wow. And there's a few things about this movie that are It's a cool concept, actually. Yeah. It's, it's like, different than a, just a home invasion exactly, movie. Exactly. Exactly. And I was really hoping that it would be different, and it was. So it just works. It's like an entertaining little thriller type mm -hmm. of thing. There isn't anything... 
super amazing or brown groundbreaking or any of that but these there's these true two strong female lead performances and there's some pretty you know she's blind and it's a home invasion situation but other than that i won't give it away but there's she's got some interesting personality quirks to her as well this main character sophie that also lend a little bit to it you know she is not uh, an innocent basically mm-hmm. in other words she may be blind but she's they don't portray her as this girl that doesn't know what she's doing type of thing and so that gives it an interesting sure. thing too mm-hmm. and it's pretty it moves along you don't really get that you know there's no point where you get bored or like i mean obviously there's a lead up to it but like i said 30 minutes in i didn't want to go to the thing i thought i was going to be watching because mm-hmm. i was like intrigued so it was a happy yeah. accident yeah that's cool yeah i've so. stumbled on movies like that before and i'm like eh, i think that's uh what happened when i watched haunt yeah, there and then you it go. ended up becoming just, like one of my favorites. I know, and then you just like push the button, and mm-hmm. well, and I do that a lot on Shutter. Like, what's this? Click. And but yours I, was literally an accident. You thought it was something else. I literally yeah. for thirty minutes because yeah. <laughs> I hadn't watched either movie, obviously. Yeah. So, anyway, cool. Recommend. Um, I'll talk about one more because since we're on Shutter and talking about uh, the movies coming out this year, uh, this one was really disappointing. So mm. if you're thinking about watching it, maybe reconsider. <laughs> um, the movie The Cellar. Mm-hmm. I really like Alicia Cuthbert and I've, I just, I mean, I'm glad she's back in stuff and I, and I watched the seller with you. So yeah, thoughts as well. So, you know, Kara Woods daughter mysteriously vanishes in the cellar of their new house. She soon discovers there's an ancient and powerful entity controlling their home that she will have to face or risk losing her family's soul forever. You know, the concept again, it's kind of been done before, but I wanted to give it a shot because I like Shudder. I like Alicia Cuthbert. And I'm like, okay, it could be kind of dark, kind of fun. And like Pepper on our Discord, she was saying the same thing. Like the beginning's good. The end is awesome. And everything in between doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And if the last 20 minutes of the movie, if there would have been more of that, mm-hmm. that movie would have been really great because the ending is like, they just like, uh, like, wow, all of a sudden you're finally into it. Yeah. And then it's over. Well, the weird thing is, is that I looked into it a little bit, and I believe that this this film was a short. Is that right? So there you that go. That makes sense. Yeah, right. It's like the short. Uh, what I read about it was that it was really, really effective, but then they tried to, you know, they tried to make it into a movie, and they didn't do anything in particular <laughs> to make it work. Here was my impression. I didn't hate it as much as uh, you guys watching it. Um, or at least the comments and stuff. We do a lot of bullshitting and a lot mm-hmm. of ragging on movies, honestly, mm-hmm. when we all get together and watch. And then and then the true opinion kind of comes afterwards because that's just the fun thing to sure. do with each other. But so I didn't, uh, it appeared like everybody hated it. And I didn't, I wasn't hating it as much as, as you guys, but because I liked kind of the ramp up. I Like I was yeah. in it for... I don't know how long, like 30, 40 minutes, whatever, the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm not, I'm okay. Like, I'm kind of liking this. Um, and then it just sort of started to fall apart. They went like these other directions. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what is that? Exactly. I don't, eh. <laughs> you know, and then it just sort of lost me. But I enjoyed her um, until then. Yeah, no, she was great. And, and the, I really and the girl enjoyed played the, the daughter. Yeah. The girl who played the daughter was really great, yep. too. So the acting was fine. It was the... I mean, there was a lot of cheap jump scares and yeah. shit like that. But um, yeah, I can't I can't really recommend this movie. Nope. We try. It was actually on a Kathy Curious the Evening Night, and she had not watched it before, which I, of course, have to program all these movies in the Discord that I haven't watched before either. So you had your first experience of, you know... <laughs> 
Sometimes they're duds. Sometimes. Sometimes. And that's okay because, I mean, most of the movies that I put on and nights that I host are like, it's, I haven't seen them. Well, that's the fun part about watching them together, though, because yeah. if they're bad, the commentary is hilarious. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, and as horror fans, it's a different thing. We're, I mean, personally, I, uh, this isn't true of all horror fans, but personally, I'm like, I'm going to watch all, as much of it as I can. Yeah, I don't discriminate. So I want to see it either way, right? And have my form my own opinion. I also watched a movie called The Twin, which is a Shutter original 2022 mystery thriller horror. And this is Teresa Palmer, actually. Have I seen this? So following the aftermath of a tragic accident that claimed the life of one of her twins, Rachel and Anthony relocate to the other side of the world with their surviving son. What begins as a time of healing in the quiet Scandinavian countryside soon takes on an ominous turn when Rachel begins to unravel the torturous truth about her son and confronts the malicious forces that are trying to take hold of him. Have you seen it? I haven't. Okay. So this movie has some pluses and minuses in my opinion. It is a mental health movie. So there is that element to it. And I actually enjoyed watching it, but uh, so this is another family ripped apart by grief. Okay. So this is one of those. And you really feel that in the end. And I'll just say that. So there's good performances, good atmosphere. It doesn't sort of reach the level of I would watch it again. I enjoyed the watch though, but you know, I like sad shit. So (laughs) (laughs) I mean, some of it doesn't make any sense, but some of it is kind of a mental health statement. Cool. So I I would say watch it, but also I like sad shit. I like I like to know the movies that deal with grief. Like that's a part of yeah. what I enjoy in my horror films. So very good. There you go. All right. It's time. It is time. Oh, wait, you were going to mention. No, it's not time. You were going to oh, mention something about yeah. Rosemary's Baby. So I watched uh, another episode of Cursed Films season two, and I just would like to mention that it's on um, Rosemary's Baby. And it really goes into depth about the curse of Benedict Canyon, which is a, a, a major street, also the home where like the Tate LaBianca murders and all that happened. Mm-hmm. So people who know the film, know that Roman Polanski directed the film and he was with Sharon Tate. Uh, They were together when that whole murder happened. And so it goes into a lot of the various curses that happened, but then it segues all the way out into the Manson killings and they actually interview Diane Lake, AKA snake, um, not to be confused with snake on our discord uh, (laughs) as being part of the Manson family. And she speaks a lot to this whole thing and which I thought was really cool that she was on there. And then they also talk about Mia, Mia Farrow. And at the very end, she presents Polanski with a, what are they called? The, the cigar boxes, the uh, humidors. Oh, she gets oh, okay. him a humidor with a, like a skull on it. Or it's like, it's like as a gift, it is never left storage. They put it in a storage bin and they shut the door on it. And they, they believe that, everything to do with that set was completely cursed. It's like the new Conjuring movies. We totally. gotta get on that. <laughs> so it's a really good episode if you like this stuff, um, but it goes into, my, you know, a lot of these episodes, it's about like accidents and stuff that happen on the set. This one goes into like, really, like even outside of the film and goes into Polanski's life more and all of that. So 
Well, and he's a fascinating subject he's for a lot something. of people. something. And he lost both of his parents in World War II. So he comes from a lot of tragedy. I mean, he's he's just, uh, he's a perpetrator himself, but I'm saying it, it goes into his... A lot of times where it comes from. Yeah, he go, it goes into all of that. But um, interesting nice. episode. Nice. Yep. All right, now, now you can do the horror facts with Cass. <laughs> okay. What particular format does Stephen King use to write his books? So when you say, so I need clarification, I guess. Format meaning like typewriter or computer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. He longhands. Yeah, with a fountain pen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On paper with a fountain pen. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Lots lots of ink. (laughs) Yeah, totally. He must be like me and still gets the newspaper too. (laughs) Number two. Must be. uh, I'm going to guess yes. A A lot of likes, Steve and I. Uh, the movie short within the woods was filmed in 1978 and would become the proof of concept for the feature film by which title? So I don't know the answer, but it would be fun to sort of go down this rabbit hole a little bit. So is it by a famous writer, director, actor person? Mm -hmm. Okay. And who's that? Since I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi. Ah, see, well, obviously evil dead. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to go there. Yeah. Like, who is it made by? Makes sense within the woods. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's how they sold the concept, I guess. Right. And and as you know, that's a lot, a lot of times. Well, we were just talking about a movie that was a short, and then they made it into a yeah. feature. That's a lot of times, especially with new filmmakers. You got to make something so they know you know how. Exactly. Number three, how long can an astronaut's footsteps last on the moon? A million years. Yes. Oh. A million years or as long as the moon lasts. Oh. And this is why. Um, this is because the moon has no atmosphere. So nothing gets washed away and nothing gets um, folded back inside. I, I knew it was a long time, but I didn't know it was that long, yeah. actually. I was kind of being facetious, but I was going to say thousands of years yeah. because I knew it would be a long time. Women in the 18th century used what toxic substance for makeup? I felt like you knew this one. Yeah, lead. Yes. Vinegar, water, and white lead. Gross. Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, the first. They did what they could. Number five. <laughs> God, imagine they didn't put some lead on my face. Yeah, I don't think they thought about it. It's kind of like they used to drink cocaine. Yeah. And Coca-Cola. Yes, they did. Just didn't think about it. No wonder they got jammed. It worked. <laughs> first American zombie film was released in what year? I have no idea. 1932 was actually called White Zombie, which is oh, okay. probably where he got his concept from. And there it is, with lead. Based, <laughs> based on the novel <laughs> The Magic Island by William Seabrook. Okay. Very nice. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. Next week, on the, that was the horror effects being crumpled up. Next week, we are going to do a little celebration, our 300th episode, ladies Woo! and gentlemen. Can you believe it? Now, there are not 300 episodes available to you, you might see. Uh, I am in the process of I'm going to get those on to our website so that you can hear the early sods, the early sods eventually, but not right now. Right now, you can hear seasons two, three, and four, uh, but we are actually technically on our 300th episode next week, so we're looking forward to that, and then the week after that, we're actually going to do a discussion on Natural Born Killers. Very nice. A lot of people's favorite movies. So thank you for tuning in to Terror Talk this week. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.